We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hi, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me on this episode is Simon Austin. Simon is the man behind Training Ground Guru, which is a brand new website, Twitter, social media account as well, uh, ground under slash guru, that looks basically inside English league teams, Premier League and below, and what they're doing in their day-to-day and their staffing and their sports science, psychology, youth academies, everything. It's it's absolutely brilliant. It's one of my go-tos every morning um, when I have a coffee and I go through you know, a couple of articles. I always go on his, his website. There's daily content in it and the depth that he goes in and the access he has to these clubs is, is groundbreaking. So I really wanted to talk to Simon, uh, number one, on how he does it and then number two on who's doing what in these clubs and what are we moving towards you know I'm obsessed with what clubs are doing on a day-to-day basis so there's no better man to speak to so had a great conversation with him um, and he he gives a great insight into what clubs are doing in comparison to other sports as well so hope you enjoy Uh, any feedback please let me know at Gary Kernin coach Kernin on Facebook hope you enjoy Uh, just to get going then for you know your background as a as a sports journalist with mm. twenty years, New York Times, Daily Telegraph, The Sun, Daily Mail, and then with your work with BBC Sport. Uh, what what brought you to to the training ground, Guru? What was the inspiration? Yeah, well, I think basically I I just thought there was quite a gap in the market really um, to find out what's really going on behind the scenes at clubs on the training ground. Um, because I think often to understand what's happening on the pitch, you need to go and have, have a look behind the scenes and understand what's happening there. And I didn't think that was really getting covered in our mainstream media here in the UK. Uh, so the work of coaches, scientists, uh, you know, fitness staff, other people like that, I didn't think it was really getting covered. So I saw quite a big gap there. Yeah, we we just kind of spoke about that kind of off air before we started with the 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 depth of analysis with say match of the day or Sky Sports. Why do you think and it's got better obviously in the past ten fifteen years? But these guys are full time. And I'm not going to criticize the the analysis side. But if they're full time, even Soccer Saturday guys, Jeff Stelling, that crowd. And why is there? Why do they overlook what goes on from Monday through Friday at these clubs? Why is why is there no no analysis on that at all? I well, I, I was actually talking to someone else that we were talking about off air, uh, Dan Michici, who was the England under sixteen coach, and he was drawing a comparison with what happens in Italy, uh, where his family's from originally, and you know they've got dedicated sports papers over there. They have very long analysis after games where they'll go very in depth on tactics. Uh, the interviews they have with the players and managers, they'll go very in depth as well and get very in depth answers. Um, 
and we just don't seem to have that culture in this country, really. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure why that is, to be honest. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to pinpoint. I mean, I've worked actually on Match of the Day before as a producer, and it's quite tricky with the analysis because you might only get a couple of minutes after every game. Mm-hmm. So you're quite limited in, in what you can, the story you could tell there, really. You have to be quite quick fire. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think there definitely is a desire for a lot more depth and analysis now, kind of with the advent of social media and, you know, sites like your own. People can get that more now, and maybe it's highlighted the fact that it is quite superficial what you get in the mainstream media. Do you think there's a risk with match of the day in particular? Is there a risk where you, you know, you you lose the guy that's coming in for, after a few pints who just wants to sit and watch the football? Do you risk losing yeah. that guy if you talk too much jargon and tactics? And yeah, yeah, that is that is a good point, definitely. Um, and if you have, again, a look at some of the accounts on social media, uh, the ones that are probably most popular are the transfer gossip sites, mm. you know, which I personally don't like that much because a lot of it's made up and cut and pasted from elsewhere. But that they do have a massive amount of followers and a massive interest. So maybe that's where the quick hits are, really, as you say. I, I don't know what you think. It's crazy, again. It's, I, I wonder where people are putting their time and energy in that. That transport, like talk sport, that's why I used to I used to love talk sport, and then that's I feel like that's what it's became. You know, it's just the gossip and transfer. Who's going to move there? And it's not as enjoyable for the. You know, I think we want to, as as football's developed, I think we want to, you know, just digest it a little bit differently and look at it a little bit mm. differently and go mm. a little bit deeper with it. Whenever you were working with, you know, as a journalist, your background as a journalist, did you did you view football and that did you see football as a little bit behind the times with that training side and access to it yeah well i've been interested in that side of things actually to to because as i say i think to really understand what's going on on match day you have to understand that stuff really and i've always been interested in the innovators as well so you know someone like cheryl calder who i've covered on the site the visual awareness coach who worked with england rugby and worked with Bournemouth and Spurs as well. Uh, or someone like Dave Olrid, who the kicking coach I covered when I was at the BBC. So they've always fascinated me, really, those uh, innovators, kind of groundbreaking coaches. Uh, but I was finding, again, when I was pitching to newspapers when I was a freelancer, I was a bit frustrated that they didn't go for those stories quite a lot of the time. You know, and they wanted the, the transfer stuff or someone slagging someone off. Yeah. Um, and that was another reason for setting the site up, really, because I thought they were stories that needed to be told. You you posted about, quite recently, about, you know, an article on, we were talking about this morning's articles, tactical periodization, and um, and then you had one last week, I think was on the value of set pieces with, with Klopp mm. giving a little shout out to, to his staff, his analysis staff. Mm. The question yeah. the question I have for you is, is why are team, teams putting so much investment into sports science and then are they it doesn't look as if they're putting the same amount of investment into the psychology or the mm. you know the tactical side of the game would you agree with that that well yeah i've spoken to a few people actually who think that is going to be the next massive area of growth or that's the big untapped area at the moment the psychological uh and the 
yeah, maybe teams aren't doing enough in that area, as you say. Uh, it was interesting to see Sam Allardyce earlier in the week, or I think it was at the weekend after the game, actually saying that he does intend to bring a psychologist in. Uh, and he thinks that's very, very important to kind of get the players in a positive frame of mind and uh, kind of have clear heads when they go out for the matches. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, tactics, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure. Is that something that you found that maybe they don't focus on that as much as they should? Yeah, yeah, I think like tactical analysis, I think either by scouting or by, you know, bringing specialists in. Um, mm. And that was another question I actually had for you was like, you you know, you mentioned about Cheryl and you mentioned about David and, and it seems mm. that all all other sports, like I always, in the US, you know, I, I work at the college level and we've got, we work on the same, you know, we work side by side with, with all the other college sports. The, the thing that strikes me in swimming, running, etc., every sport, every other sport spends so much more t- time on technical instruction and soccer. Our players, mm. when they train with the team, they're working. When they're not with the team, they, they're off and they're resting, recovering, whatever you want to say. Um, we, we don't spend any time with technical instruction. So other sports have specialists, like you have a pitching coach and you have a quarterback coach. And, and I thought we were going to go in there from football about 10 years ago. But we, I don't know. Are we? Have we moved in that? Do you see any clubs moving in that direction? I'm trying to think. Actually, I mean, using the example there of Dave Olrid earlier. Actually, I know he he obviously does a lot of work about actual kicking technique, and he'd done a particular program about penalties. Actually, and I know he was very frustrated that he said clubs weren't open to him coming in and teaching this program. So I think he'd spoken to the FA. Uh, he'd done a bit of work with Newcastle Keegan years ago. Um, but it was certainly his thought that they weren't open-minded to bringing someone like him in. Uh, so I think, I said, yeah, I, I don't know any other kind of technical coaches, really, who would be that specific and hone it down as much as that. Uh-huh. I had a, I posted the about the podcast, a kind of promo post on LinkedIn. And uh, I had a comment from Thomas Gronemark. And he was, he was saying, he's a Danish guy. He's saying, let me know if you need my knowledge as a throw-in coach. So oh, right. I thought that's <laughs> a little bit different. Um, yeah. Because throw-ins are something, I think like, we're so worried in football about being different and we're so worried, although we all want to be different, like we all want to be the Pep or we want to be the Mourinho, but we're so worried about being vulnerable a, a little bit or, or standing mm. out. And we we're so and this is like when we talk throw-ins, you don't want to be the team like you don't want to be Stoke City, you don't want to be a team with a long throw-in, but you secretly do because you want to win matches. So mm. like rather than say like is there value in it, I, I would love to say like what's what's holding us back from you know is it our own egos that's holding us back or how much of our egos do hold us back in coaching mm. between yeah. increasing our staffs. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? I did a piece actually a few weeks ago about Leeds United have brought in Gianni Vial, who is the free kick specialist. So he specialises just in attacking free kicks. Uh, and he was at Brentford for a year and worked in Italy before that. Right. Uh, and I, yeah, I think he's already bringing a lot of innovations in at Leeds. Uh, they scored a free kick uh, Friday night. Uh, so I think, yeah, the 
sort of people there seem to be saying that he's having a positive influence. Uh-huh. Uh, and th- then I did that piece actually that we were talking about last week with Sheffield United. They've also been very, very innovative with free kicks under Chris Wilder. Uh, and it's something that he and his assistant have really focused on um, and are very innovative. You know, and it's interesting to watch the clips, how flummoxed the defenders are with someone taking a different approach, you know, not taking the direct free kick or lobbing it in, but, you know, having a little one-two on the edge of the area uh, and having a lot of success. So, yeah, that, that would suggest that it is worth honing in on specific areas, really, mm. as you say. Yeah, I always, I always think with, like, what that sends to your team as well. If, you, if you've employed someone to say, all right, this is... Coach X and he will be working with set pieces or attacking. If you want to even go into attacking set pieces, it sends such a message to your. You know, it's, it tells you what you're prioritizing, so your players then know that that's something that we're going to place a great deal of emphasis on. Uh, it just mm. it communicates that, and I, and I just wonder why that would have a lot more effect. You know, than here we're doing set pieces today. Uh, you know, and everyone's eyes roll and they all stand around and. You know, they cross a couple of balls and a couple of runs and then everyone jacks it in for the day. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. But that's that's what we're used to doing, isn't it? So maybe, mm. again, that's does tradition hold us back more than... You know, we always talk about or we look at these clubs and say, well, it must be nice to hire a, a, an offensive uh, free-kick specialist. We don't have the budget for that, but in reality, it's it's probably our own our own mindsets that hold us back. That's, that's what fascinates yeah. me with all these. It's like how much of these... It's, it's about more than money, isn't it? It's about more than resources. Yeah. It's about having the guts to do yeah. it. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely a school of thought as well that some people don't like overcomplicating the game, really. Mm. And also a thought that f- football or soccer is a fluid game where people don't want to break it down into those elements, really, where maybe you could with American football. Um so do you know what I mean? Not wanting to overcomplicate it, yeah. Not wanting to break it down too much. Yeah, I I think we've got two. Like I think we've got there's two types of coach. Like there's the there is the traditionalists, and then there's the ones who want to do a little. But there's the innovators who want to, you know, the let's see Guardiola as as yeah, it's complicating the game, but the level of quality and the level of uh, perfection that you're striving for is mm. is part of the motivation, but. Yeah, there is. I I completely agree that you can do more damage than good. When if you take a a player, I've 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 done it. Like if you take a player who's not used or exposed to a higher level of of thinking or problem solving, and you you know if you have a player who's used to making you know a two two different types of passes, a different range of passes, uh, a five yard one inside or a or a twenty yard hook down the line, and you want that player to to overlap and try and get inside and you can just paralyze that player and make them mm. a lot worse. So it's Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course then of course the other dynamic there is is the level of the, the level that you're that you're working at and the, the clubs that you're going that the pressure there is so much, isn't it, that you don't you know, that's do you take that risk where you're because mm. those are all long term plans, aren't they? And you know, do we do we really you know, do you find that these clubs are thinking long planning or is there still much an emphasis on coach you know, trying to win on Saturday. Yeah, that that is. I suppose it sort of varies club to club, really. But it, yeah, it does seem to be getting very uh, short term. Because something I've written about a lot on the site is academies, and I get frustrated when you look at a club like Chelsea, for example, that has a very very good academy, uh, 
a lot of very good players in there, very good coaches, uh, good facilities. And there's not that pathway really to the first team because I guess the managers like Conte at the moment, they feel under a lot of pressure, you know, and they, they don't feel that they have the time to bring the players in from the academy and, you know, have the patience to let them bed into the first team. Um, so that, that is a, a frustration really of mine personally. And it, yeah, it's that conflict between the short term and the long term, as you say. Uh-huh. In, in your experience with, you know, the, the clubs that you've looked at and where you've been, what's the common trend amongst the, amongst the leaders, I suppose, in the industry? What's when you, when you go to a, a culture and an environment, what do you see that separates? What do you not see in the bad ones that you do in the good ones? Well, I just on the point about academies again, I would say that all of the, particularly the top clubs, are making a lot of noises about homegrown players. So they want to have homegrown players in the first team. You know, they say it's a priority. So uh, you've got Soria at Man City said it a few weeks ago in their annual report. Uh, Emanalo, it's has said it was a big priority of theirs at Chelsea, Liverpool the same. Um, but it's that conflict with the short term gains again. So you're you're not seeing the player the homegrown players come into the first team. Like I think Guardiola at City still hasn't given a Premier League debut to an Academy player since he's been there. Oh, has um, so no, no. So Foden's played, I believe, in the Champions League, but not in the Premier League. Oh wow. Um so even though, again, when Guardiola came in, he said that was what his main priorities to promote the academy and promote homegrown players. Mm. Uh, but I guess he's felt under a lot of pressure to win the Premier League this season. So that's not happened. Um, so that, that's a definite trend that I've seen that they're, they're making those noises about it, but probably not doing it, really. You know, with the, with the training ground guru, what's the process that that you get your from is it is it visiting the clubs is it making phone calls um is it through a colleague is it an insight that you know or, or how do you go about getting the article and getting the information yeah well i, I guess it's those sort of journalistic skills really mm-hmm. that honed over 20 years which is a bit scary to say <laughs> um but yeah obviously trying to get to clubs as much as i can so some are more open than others obviously um and then yeah a lot a lot of phone calls as well and as it's become a bit better known more and more people contact me and people are more amenable um i I think quite a lot of staff as well have liked the fact that we're going behind the scenes that we're not about transfer tittle tattle um you know or scandal or someone slagging someone off um so I think they've liked that fact, really, to be able to talk about their craft. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I have found a lot of people very accessible. You know, we've had Dr. Craig Roberts on from Bournemouth, Tony Strudwick, um, Brian Ashton from Lingham Rugby, you know. And uh-huh. so sort of a, it's been very heartening, really, how open and accessible a lot of people have been. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it's visiting clubs, getting people on the phone, and then more and more people getting in touch with us as well, uh-huh. uh, which is brilliant. They're not, they're not, you know, because some of the stuff you're doing are, you're showing, which is great, you're showing competitive advantages that one club mm. has over another. Like, I always wonder if clubs aren't reluctant to publicise 
Well, I think there is a culture of that, definitely, because I know when I was thinking of starting the site and talking to uh, people in the industry, a few people did warn me and say, look, this is going to be difficult because people don't want to share their secrets. Um, and it's quite surprising a lot of the time. Like, For example, we did a piece about academy productivity, so how many pros had come out of each academy, category one to four. And that information is not published anywhere, as far as I know, um, which, you, again, I find very surprising, really. And it's that kind of seems like that secrecy, really. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, as I say, it varies from club to club. And so, some people have been very helpful. Um, and I think a lot of people think they're doing similar things, really. And there aren't any incredible secrets. And there's not anything one club's doing that no other clubs are doing so quite a lot of people are quite have a quite sort of collegiate attitude really yeah they're going to try and share information and kind of tr try and develop the the industry as a whole you know if, it, if it's sports science for example yeah um but, but some people are very secretive yeah yeah you can't you can't deny that really mr guardiola for one <laughs> well no, I've not managed to get to him. I did put a cheeky request in, actually, but that got uh, rejected pretty quickly. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he is good at letting people come and watch training, isn't he? I think other coaches, from what I see on social media. Oh, really? Oh, the last thing I, I believe heard, so. Uh, yeah. Well, the last thing I heard was that the the city grounds one couldn't even watch training. Was one of the things I heard. Oh, but really? That was, yeah, but. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I was at. The, they did have that big problem actually. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Carrington, where they used to be, but you could go along there, and there was a little uh, alleyway uh -huh. at the side of a field, and you could get on a little step ladder and see all the training. <laughs> so that's when they saw, you know, Balotelli having a fight with Mancini. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, they've moved now to the Etihad campus, so uh -huh. they've kind of got around that. We kind of had a bit of experience with it with Brendan Rodgers and being Liverpool, um, where mm. American sports are have gone is that I feel that there's more access to more of an inside look into like now you can they're making up team talks and they're making up um, coaches in locker rooms and then you've got the HBO real training camp. Um, do you think do you think that's something that just English football or British football is just not ready for at the minute? Yeah, that is a big contrast, isn't it, really? You'd know a lot more about that than me. Um, but I know they had a go in the FA Cup on the BC. Um, I think it was with lower league teams, having a camera in the dressing room. Um, but no, I think we are quite a long way off, really. I've not seen any hint of that. Uh, I know Amazon have signed the deal with Man City, haven't they, to do the yeah. behind-the-scenes show for a year. So it'll be very interesting to see what comes out there. Sydney's mm -hmm. um, website's good. Like they don't mm. give an awful lot away, but their their content that they put out every week is is not bad. Yeah, if they could a little bit more depth than that, you're just you just wonder how much they can actually give away, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do see sort of more with certain club websites, don't you? Like Southampton have been good. They had videos on their pre-season testing and they have interviews with some of the uh, staff behind the scenes so you do see it in little pockets really at uh -huh. some clubs more than others uh, and as I say I think there is more interest from the public now really yeah in, in that I, I wonder if it's not through computer games a lot because people are playing FIFA and football manager um, 
and fantasy football being a big thing and uh-huh. kind of pe- people are more at home using stats and data and probably more knowledgeable about stuff behind the scenes maybe as well. Uh-huh. No, I, I definitely think because yeah. of the gaming. Yeah, I think that's we've definitely were a more educated pundit now or just the your average mm. Joe like some of the things you get replies on and you can put a tactical piece on Facebook or Twitter and people you know everyone has an opinion on it whereas t- 5 10 mm. years ago you know, no, it would have been just blanked. You know, it would just be. I don't want to listen to someone like what what this terminology is. It just seems like mm. this is this is. There's now a demand for the average fan. Um, like when you do, like I must like I laugh when I think about what pubs are like now. You know, they're talking <laughs> about this conversation about you know it used to be such and such was was rubbish or such and such was rubbish. It's probably now to where like you know, well, if they schedule their tra- periodization training a little bit around this or it's <laughs> just it, it, you just wonder what the next step is and, and where it's going to go yeah yeah I, I do think it's a couple of things really first of all the gaming as i say where you know something like football manager is very in depth uh and i think the other thing is the advent of social media and people setting up their own blogs and things the so things like zonal marking mm. or swiss ramble so people are able to get that information that they weren't in the past yeah it's probably it's like everything it's had a negative effect and now everyone's an expert aren't they yeah so. yeah yes that's right yeah definitely <laughs> and again but i don't know but maybe a lot of people coming back to the point about analysis on tv uh don't have the attention spans or the patience so people want to always formulate a quick opinion rather than taking the time to read something and I mean, it, it was probably a frustration with yours as well, but the number of people who will respond to a tweet or a post and then you find out they haven't actually read the piece that you've spent <laughs> a lot of time doing, you know. Yeah, the headlines just, yeah, they've yeah. already... Oh, especially with, you know, as, as I'm sure you've experienced, what you put, if you put Klopp or you put some of those big clubs where you've got fans that can be... It's crazy, like, isn't it? Because the club's so big, mm. you would think that the fan... But the fan base are... You know, they're pretty passionate about an article mm. being written that's non-biased or biased. They think it's been mm. biased. It's just crazy yep. how they would think that that's something that they're going to get annoyed about. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these issues are becoming big, though, aren't they, really? So Klopp's a good example. You know, the the debate about the number of injuries he has. And someone like Raymond Verheyen, who we were talking about earlier, saying that he's too intense with the players in training and the match style is too intense leading to those injuries. Um, or I, I did a piece about Jack Wilshire last year with Craig Roberts from Bournemouth, uh, where he was talking about how they'd managed Jack Wilshire's load a lot more carefully since he'd come from Arsenal. So he wasn't spending so much time on his feet in training and in matches. And actually, until he broke his ankle at the end of the season, he, he hadn't had any injuries at all. So that They'd been very successful with that. Um, uh-huh. So kind of some of those issues now are becoming more prominent, aren't they, really? Yeah. More, more pub debate, as you say. And we all want to, with the club one, that's, that's like, I think that's, I told you, my frustrations with that when, and Raymond Verheyen's, I don't know if you would even call it analysis, was I think it's just we label so much, don't we, as a, as a football culture where, you know, Guardiola's the possession man, Mourinho's the defensive huh. guy, Klopp overtrains his players and, and mm-hmm. Conte just gives everyone hugs and we think like that's, there's so much, yeah, if we can get in 
educate people it seems as if they want the information but then you put again you as you said you put information out there and and people don't want to read it so they want it i don't know it's how we present it to them has got to be a little bit easier mm. i don't know what the solution is um, yeah yeah definitely and i, I think someone like Verhayen, you're not always sure if he's aware of all the facts really behind the scenes because i don't think anyone is unless they're working at a club really yeah um, because I was even talking to someone yesterday, actually, used to be at Liverpool, and they said no one, unless they're at the club, even knows the true story about the injuries. Because the club doesn't advertise who's injured or what their injury is. Because a lot of the time they want to keep that private. They don't want to let the opposition know who's injured or when they're going to be back. Um, so a lot, some of these sites you see that list the injuries, they're not accurate a lot uh -huh. of the time. Yeah, mm. oh, I mean that's that's the other side of it, isn't it? Like what like Roy Keane always says that Roy Keane of all people, if you're talking about analysis, like and he's but he's <laughs> his his way, and he's completely right. He just doesn't get into it because he's like, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, so no, you shouldn't be commenting on it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, do you do you have any plans to extend into Europe or worldwide? Well, I d would definitely like to, um, and I'd like. To have a lot more video on the site as a start, really, um, but it's just kind of trying to grow bit by bit, really, uh -huh. um, and doing what's manageable. But yeah, that would def definitely be good in time, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's and good. I mean, even in the states, there's a big uh, burgeoning scene, isn't there as well? The sport, I yeah. still think over here as a as an American soccer watcher in general, or as a soccer parent, I I think there is so much education needed. So. And how we do that is, is obviously, you know, the, the culture here, all the parents come to games until the kid is, like, even through their college, they, they'll watch every single game. Um, right. But the, but their level of understanding of it is is frustrating at times, but mm. the level of education is, is zero, so that's why. So it's, I think the more, and, and again, our, our um, analysis you know, obviously the U.S. national team has fallen short of the World Cup, but you know, I think our analysis at that level is just—it's so emotional. Like mm. they win, and it's—I think—I think where we are in America is my soapbox moment here. But where we are in America, it's—it's the—it's not actually the Gary Neville's. That's—it's the they call it Dick Vitale over here. It's like the guy that mm. that wants to be. If you have a rant and you're emotional and, and then someone gets a 30-second clip of it, it'll get, you know, like, look at this. This is crazy how, you know, and that's what people, that's what we think people want. But I, mm. I actually don't think people want that. I think, yeah, well, you'll always have people who will think that's funny, but there's just not enough information. Our tactical analysis at halftime, pre-game, post-game is just non-existent here. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I, I always think pundits are at their best when they're giving a lot of personal insight, mm. really, which obviously someone like I, I can't give that personal insight because I've not been in a Premier League dressing room with Sir Alex Ferguson, you know. Because um, I don't know if you saw, it was Frank Lampard, Rio Ferdinand and Steven Gerrard. I did, yeah, yeah. That was fantastic, talking about mm -hmm. their experiences with England. Um, brilliant insight, but you don't see very much of that, really, generally. Yeah, well, we've we've just gone the other way now. We've just gone where the pundits on TV were, you know, everything was fine. They're, you know, they're, they're former players, former teammates, so they're obviously mingling with them in hotel pre-games and, and stuff like that. And then 
everything's great, you know, spoke to such and such in the elevator, said he's, he's looking forward to the game, and then all of a sudden they don't qualify for the World Cup and now they've kind of turned on them. The two problems we have is we've still got the win one for the Gipper, that's what coaching is, where mm. we think it's the Al Pacino any given Sunday. Huh. Um, yeah. And then we all, we're also handcuffed by uh, soccer, I think is. Uh, I don't know whether this is true or not, but this is my guess, is that we're handcuffed mm. by the commercial side. So pre-game mm. is, you know, the pre-game is cut very, very short uh, and it's all advertising at halftime. And then post-game, they're, you know, they're trying to get it off the TV as quick as possible to get uh, maybe a higher revenue sport in. So mm. your time to educate isn't, uh, but I think we've got to get around. I, I don't know what the answer is. I think, well, number one, we've got to get better material and better content out there, but yeah. I don't know how we we've, we have to present that to parents and, and the viewers. Because I do feel like this is in the US, everyone is everyone wants a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. It's funny, those, those, those uh, Premier League, I don't know if you had, had access to see any of those, the NBC ones that they did inside, they went to Pulis, a Palace, Pardew. Uh, who else did they do? They did a little bit of Spurs, but you know those were those were very very close to being Liverpool and and mm. Brendan Rodgers, and they were they were received really really well. But uh, the level of tactics was obviously you know it's it's just not that we've got men in blazers over here, and it's more a comedy show than it is you know it's mm. it's our fantasy football, the Bedell and Skinner. So maybe mm. we're we're twenty years behind, but. We need to catch Interesting. up. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And did did you feel those pieces on NBC gave a flavour of who was working behind the scenes and what was going on, or was yeah. it mainly focused on the manager? Yeah. Oh, there was a lot behind the scenes. Um, was there? Yeah. It was really, really good. It was. It's interesting, you know. It's kind of because there's a bit of bravado with it as well, you know, where people obviously they've got they've got control. I thought Pardew and Pulis came across really, really well. Um, yeah. And it's you know I I always feel that as well I feel like with where we still have this super coach mentality in America where we yeah, yeah. we look at and I I don't believe that you know I think if you look at my friend that went to he he coaches in Houston and he went to watch United against City in their preseason game and he counted I think he counted like something like nineteen or twenty City coaches on the field. At the no, really. at the pregame warm up, and that's those huh. are an individual work well player here or there, or doing a stretch here or there, and and I think that that's that's right. really in undervalued in in uh, in the US is the the importance of an environment, which, you know, again we said it earlier about if a coach is talking about set pieces, but it's it's if a coach is talking about recovery and rest, I mean, if Guardiola, like I, he actually said it in the in the Pep Confidential book, where he's gone in and he said that. I think it was the Bayern team. He said, you know, you've got to eat your meals as a team after the game because it's recovery and it's a little bit of teamwork. And none of them did it. And he was like, mm. they, they openly defied his orders. But yeah, if, okay. if, if, a, if another member of staff is saying, you know, this is what has to be done and you're doing it, it's, it's easier to manage. Mm. So, yeah. So I, I think actually one area that I've ended up covering a lot on the site, which I didn't really foresee, is the sporting director. Right. Uh, which is becoming more prominent in uh, England, and it's definitely something that I'm I'm a big advocate of. Um, and I've had a, a lot of help from a guy called Dr. Dan Parnell at Manchester Metropolitan University, um, who works on the sporting director course there. Uh, 
and it's quite interesting looking at whether the manager is actually kind of overrated really in England and whether what's more important is this sporting director and the structure that you create behind the scenes. So if you look somewhere like Southampton, who've got Les Reed there in effectively the, the sporting director role um, and a very, very good infrastructure there. And I think they're on their, I think maybe their fourth manager in four seasons with Pellegrini. Um, but been very, very consistent in where they finished, despite the fact they've had all these different managers. Um, they've been round about sort of sixth, eighth during that time because the structure is very, very good there. And this guy, Les Reed, provides the continuity, um, you know, and oversees it all. So uh-huh. I think that's very interesting. And maybe we overestimate the role of the manager, the super manager. If you went into a club with a limited budget, where would you invest your resources the most? Would you go into recruitment, sports science, uh, coaching staff, or upgrade the facilities? Where would you spend the money? Wow, that is a hard question. I'd, I guess, I mean, it's a bit of a boring answer, but at, what, what are the ambitions of the club and how long would, would you have in situ? All right, I'm. I'm it, are uh, you looking for a short-term fix or a long-term? Yeah, I'm going. I'm going short. I'm a. I'm a championship club uh, that's come across a lot of, or not a lot of money, but a little bit of money, and I want to get into the Premier League and and be sustainable in the Premier League. Wow, God, that is difficult. Actually, you might have to edit edit the uh, silence <laughs> the out in this one. Yeah, the pause. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'm trying to have a think, actually, of the teams who've uh, come up and been successful. But what about Bournemouth? Burn- a- Burnley are a good example, aren't they? Actually? Uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, Burnley, it's all down to kind of one brilliant man, I think, Sean Dyche. He's fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. They're, they're a great example of a club. Because I, I started covering them, I remember, early on. Uh, well, it's early on in his tenure, actually. I don't think he could sign a player for 18 months. Oh, wow. And then you look at what they are now. like They've got a fantastic new training facility. Um, they've upgraded their academy to Cat 2. The squad is strong. You know, they're spending more money on players. And, yeah, that, that's just down to him, really. And it was down to, yeah, very good recruitment led by him. And... Um, very good pragmatic coaching all right Simon I'll let you go thank you so much I'll uh, I'll definitely promote your site in this here um, oh brilliant cheers Gary big thanks to Simon for his time and his insight there I really enjoyed his views on the game and who's doing what at the at the top level and who's willing to invest resources or extra specialist work in in these areas and and see how they're going about it and see the progress that they're making Uh, it's really refreshing from a coaching point of view to hear how open some of these people are in some of these clubs and that's why it's it's really really good to follow Simon's work because it gives you I think it leads the way for coaches I think number one we should be more accessible to let people know what we're doing at the lower levels and number two we should be much, much more open to different viewpoints. Uh, again, I said it there, I think we use budgets and we use resources as an excuse for not taking risks or not trying things because we don't want to be looked upon as, well, you know, who do they think they are or what are they doing that for? 
and I don't think that's a good example to set for our players and I don't think we're not we're going to improve as coaches if we're reluctant to wait for somebody else to do it and then we're just going to you know try it whenever we know it's a it's a home run so yeah you know for me it would give me a lot of inspiration and it always does when I like I said I read uh, Simon's articles every morning when I have a cup of coffee and it just gets me thinking to see Am I willing to do that? Would I do that? Can I do that? Where would I get the resources to do that? And not in terms of finances, but in terms of structure and staff and how could we accommodate that in our program? So, yeah, I would highly recommend the Training Ground Guru to put on your morning uh, reading list on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Simon does a brilliant job. So, ground under slash guru um hopefully you know we'll we'll have simon on again and hopefully there'll be some more things happening with that down the road uh but hope you enjoyed it if you have any insights to feedback or anything at all please 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 shoot me a message or a tweet at gary kernin coach kernin on facebook gary at modern soccer coach.com uh, we've got some great guests coming up on the podcast and, and we can't make it happen without your feedback and your views. So thanks so much for listening and I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 